So that, that leads me to what we, what we believe, right? We believe that there's hope beyond our brokenness. We believe as a church that you and I are loved right where we're at. And it's okay to be a hot mess. And it's okay to not have it all figured out. And it's okay to not stay there. It's okay to learn to live, to learn to be free, to learn to grow. And our hope isn't in our ability to change ourselves. Our hope is in the God who comes near to save and redeem and transform us. Amen? Amen. Second, we believe that we're called to trust in our risen Savior. And often, maybe you've been in a church where it's been kind of Disneyfied in the past. You know what Disney does to faith, yeah. right? Faith is not about Jesus. Faith is about faith itself. And so you have faith in faith, which is a really weird, I love Disney, but that's kind of an odd move, right? Uh, how much faith do you have? I don't know, right? An ounce, a pound, a mile, you know, you can't measure it like that. So what are we talking about with faith? We're talking about a tr our, our relationship with our Savior, our trust in our Heavenly Father. And so what we do as a church is that we practice that. We practice trusting our Heavenly Father together. Amen? Amen. And, and He's here, present in our midst by His Holy Spirit. Our Savior is here, present in our midst by His presence, by the, by the Spirit's presence. So we do that together. Third thing that we do is is we collect pocket change and we give our money and we give our time because we're being, we believe that we can be used by God right now to bring restoration for this community. And all y'all, y'all done that this Christmas season. So thank you, thank you, thank you. So you've been making decisions to follow Jesus and, and, we, and discipleship isn't uh, something that you fall into by accident like, your fall, like you fall into a hole right? Discipleship is a choice. Just like you choose to love your kids, just like you choose to parent them, just like you choose to engage with your spouse, right? And love them no matter how big of a twit they are right now. Thank you, sweetheart. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for loving me. It's a choice that we make. And so to following Jesus is a choice. And it and let's read this together as we do every week. A disciple is one who walks intentionally with God, choosing to seek Jesus first and choosing to join Jesus in his resurrection work. That's what it means to choose to follow Jesus. It's to choose him. So let me ask you a question. We have our Advent candles here lit every week. Have you noticed that um, we've been reading from the book of Revelation? That's kind of odd. Why are we doing that? Um, I think that you can only stand, understand the beginning of the story is if you also understand the end. How many of you are those kinds of people that you read the last page of the book before you? We got four or five. I'm that way with suspense movies. Right? I will scroll through to the end. I'm like, okay, everybody dies. Okay, I can handle this. And then like I'll, right? And then, uh, but like getting there, I'm like, it's too much, right? And that comes from being a Seattle Mariners fan and growing up in Seattle, right? I know that it all is going to end bitterly and horribly in the end. So why keep the suspense going, right? 
So it's taken three weeks of background to establish something really important. Paul preached three weeks ago about hope. Fear says the future is going to be awful. God's going to be absent, and the people that I love are going to be hurt, and I can't do anything about it. That's fear. That's the picture it paints. Hope says the exact opposite. God's in my future already right now because he's the Lord of time. He stands outside of it, and he's preparing good things for me, and therefore I can be present in the, in the present moment. I can be here without being afraid about what's gonna happen in the future because Jesus is my hope because he's present with me now and in the future. I know that's not relevant to anybody here, right? (laughs) Every week you're all like, why are you talking to me only? Like, what's going on? (laughs) Second, Jesus is our peace. That was two weeks ago with Joseph, right? Joseph had a choice. Am I going to pray or am I going to do things my way? And when he prayed, he had peace. Last week with Elizabeth and Mary, right? When Jesus is present, there is joy. And in fact, waiting for Jesus and trusting his promises about what's gonna happen in your future, that's how joy, that's how you make space for joy to enter in to his life, into your life. I was talking with James earlier and we were both talking about what we do um, with God's plans in our life. And usually what we do is God has really good things lined up for us and then we don't wait, right? We immediately surmise that the situation is hopeless and then we take back control. And, and, and Jesus has been telling both James and I this Christmas season, it's like, would you just, like, just wait for a moment? Like, it's like I have this gift for you and you're already running out the door, you know? Like, just, just wait for a moment, just wait. So that was last week, Jesus is our joy. And what we've read and emphasized this Advent season, just like we do every Advent season, um, is, that, is this. God is initiating a relationship with you. God is speaking to you. God wants you to speak to him and listen to him. God is bothering himself with you. And that's a big deal. It's a really big deal. Why? Because this, God, read this with me, God in all his glory is a being of unimaginable power, unapproachable by anything stained by evil or rebellion. God is like a son, right? And that's God in all of his glory. That's that's the image that we get in scripture, right? That he's like this fire. He's He's holy, he's bright, he's burning, he's, he's beautiful. Um, but, but if you get close, uh, whatever is in you that is, that, is not, uh, that, is not, that is impure will be burned away. And um, it, it, so this is amazing that God, who is absolutely, in, absolutely incredible, a being of unimaginable power and glory, that he would enter into our mess to love us is, is astonishing. Like, it is astonishing that right now in heaven, rebels who are saved by grace are singing this song. 
To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. What? Like you and I are going to be able to sing this song to Jesus himself. That is absolutely astonishing. We get to be in God's presence. We get to speak to God, to have him speak to us, not only in heaven, but right here and right now. How can this be? But before we even get to unpacking how could this be, we're already yawning. It's true. We diminish our connection to God as though it's a tool we don't quite know how to use. Right? It's like, oh, I know that's a good one. It's powerful. Of course, I didn't read the manual. Ooh. So what do we do? We practice what we know. We practice watching Netflix rather than speaking to God. We practice our hobbies rather than listening to God. We practice valuing our own opinions and the idiotic strategies offered to us by an idiotic world instead of practicing obeying the Holy Spirit who's with us and loves us. Now, I'm not trying to shame you. I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm confessing. See, I preach every sermon to myself. Did you know that? All of the... All of the so-called foolish responses you might have, this is my life. <laughs> I'm confessing that my own tendencies are to trust what is familiar and instant rather than trusting Jesus. I mean, my Savior and Redeemer pays for my rebellion by dying in my place on the cross for the sole purpose of giving me never-ending joy in a relationship with Him and yet a part of me still prefers to live as though Jesus is way out there and not here. Now, I can't convince you to listen to his voice. I can't convince you to talk to Jesus. My words don't literally have the power to change your heart or your appetites. Like only God can do that. Only God can open your eyes to see that miracle that you would even get a chance to connect with him. Only God could woo you and say, look, I, I want my appetites to change about what I want and what I'm going to pursue. Only God can do that. So we better pray and ask him for help. Would you be okay with that? Yes. I got, we better pray not as like, oh, Lord, bless this time, but like, Holy Spirit, would you please change my own appetites and my own desires and help me to see the glory of you in this Christmas season? Amen? Could we do that? Okay, Holy Spirit, come. Please change our appetites. We, we so dismiss prayer or just spending time with you or even worship. We, we, we don't understand its power and its significance and our connection to you, and so we set you aside in favor of what we know, the poverty that we're familiar with, and we're asking, Holy Spirit, that you would give us a glimpse of your riches and glory and goodness, of your great love for us. Take our breath away. Woo us this morning. Change us, Holy Spirit. We give you permission to do so, and all God's people said, Amen. So read with me. This is the passage of Scripture 
that is designed to help you see. And I know it's familiar, but I want to make it unfamiliar enough so that maybe you could read it with fresh eyes. Here we go. Ready? Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. Now, why in the world would Luke open up the narrative about the savior of the world mentioning two political figures? He's the only gospel writer to do so. He's one of only four ancient authors of the first entire first century to mention local politics. One of four. Happens to be the first. Luke is the guy who invented the category that we know as history. How cool is that? So let's just pretend that Luke has thought for a while about what he's going to write about, that he's not just like, well, how do I start this story? I know, right? It's not like there was a, like an LA Times next to his desk and he's like, yeah, why not? We'll just start with Caesar, okay? So Luke has done a lot of thinking. So why is he talking about Caesar Augustus? Well, before Caesar Augustus was named Caesar Augustus, he was a kid named Octavian. And he had a very famous uncle. And that famous uncle was this guy here. And his name was Julius Caesar. So Caesar Augustus, his uncle is Julius Caesar. You remember what happened to Julius Caesar, right? His two friends killed him, right? Brutus and Cassius. That's that when Caesar goes, oh, and even you, Brutus, a tu Brute, right? That's where that comes from, right? Right? Stabbed him in the back, okay? And so Caesar Augustus, whose real name is Octavian, Octavian is going to spend the next 14 years avenging his uncle's death. And then in 31 BC, Caesar or Octavian would be given the title of Caesar and they thought Octavian was so majestic, so holy, that they named him as such, Caesar Majestic. And in Latin, majestic or holy is Augustus. We have a name, we have a month named after Caesar Augustus. It's October. So the majestic and holy Caesar Augustus would go on to rule from 27 BC all the way through Jesus' birth, all the way through 14 AD. That's 41 years of bliss for the Roman Empire. No war, no problems, economic increase every year, right? It's just, it was so incredible. What they called it was the Pax Romana. Pax means peace, literally the peace of Rome. They thought that it was utopia, it was heaven on earth. In fact, greeting was common during this time. What they would say is this, Caesar is Lord, which means that the lordship or the reign of Caesar is what brings peace and hope and joy and love and life. You picking up what Luke is putting down? So Luke paints a fascinating political backdrop to the birth of our actual Savior and Lord for a reason. 
And what Luke is doing is he's comparing Caesar to Jesus. Caesar Augustus was the person who everyone thought was the son of God. Literally, they worshipped him as such. And Luke's like, no. Caesar Augustus was considered majestic or holy. And Luke's like, mm, no, not really. Caesar Augustus was the birth everyone celebrated because his rule and his reign brought peace. In fact, Caesar Augustus, he was the first guy whose birthday was actually celebrated as a national holiday. And what Luke is saying is like, no, actually, we're not going to write about Caesar Augustus' birth. I'm going to write about Jesus' birth. So let me ask you a question. If you are a Roman citizen, what's the benefit that you have of living under the rule and reign of this holy and majestic Caesar called Caesar's Augustus? Well, the benefit that you had as a Roman citizen was primarily one, and that was this. If you got into trouble, you could appeal to or speak to Caesar. That was the greatest benefit that you had. You were considered his child, him being your political father. And so if you got in trouble, you could say, like Paul did when he was in his troubles um, in the book of Acts, I appeal to Caesar. And as a result, you could have a fair trial. And you might not ever talk to Caesar himself, but you would talk to one of Caesar's legal representatives, which would be like talking to Caesar himself legally in the court of law. And in short, that's what you could do. So as his so-called child, as a Roman citizen, you had the right to speak to Caesar in a legal sense. That was your greatest power as a Roman citizen. If you weren't a Roman citizen, anybody could do anything they wanted to. You had no rights or power whatsoever. You picking up what I'm putting down? Now, so that's how you could appeal to Caesar. You could get a fair trial. Now, what happens when Caesar speaks to you? What's that called? That's called taxes. Did you know that? We have the same rights as United States citizens. We have the right to a fair trial. We have the right to appeal to the highest authority in the land, right? Which is our constitution, right? It's not a person, it's a document. So we get to appeal to that because that's our sovereign right as citizens. If you're not a citizen of the United States, the Constitution doesn't apply to you. There's different sets of rules for non-citizens. As citizens, we have one set of rules, rights that we call them, right? In the Bill of Rights, okay? But when the government speaks to us, that's only one conversation. And that is by April 15th or else, right? There it is. So get this, you speak to Caesar to try and be saved. When Caesar speaks to you, it costs you every time. So Caesar speaks to Joseph and Mary, and they must respond by traveling to Joseph's tribal home, Bethlehem, to pay their tax. Let's keep on reading. Verse 4. So Joseph also went up to Bethlehem to the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David. And he went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Benjamin Franklin said, once said that the only thing in this world that is certain is death and taxes. Joseph has to pay taxes, but it gets worse, right? There's no more Ubers, 
the bus line doesn't go to Bethlehem. The high-speed rail train is still not built in the Central Valley, right? Okay? So if you have no way, and the car broke down, so you have no way to get to Bethlehem except to walk 90 miles. Who here wants to walk to Santa Barbara for Christmas while you're eight months pregnant, right? And here's the reality of life. When things look bad, they often get worse. When you're falling apart, grieving, full of guilt, shame, in need of a job, don't have a place to live, things often get worse before they get better. I was watching a documentary yesterday afternoon with my son Levi about a young chef who was electrocuted so bad that he lost his left hand. The electricity burnt, he, he had touched a metal object in the wilderness with a knife in his left hand, burnt his left hand. And then the electricity exploded out his chest. He lost a bunch of ribs out the top of his head, out his leg. And while he's in the ICU for 57 days, he finds out he has cancer. And his girlfriend leaves him. I mean, it was like, right? His name was not Alexander, but he was having a very good, no, no good, very bad, no good day, right? I mean, it was, it was rotten. And this is exactly where God shows up. Not at the time when you have everything together. By the way, does anybody ever have it all together? Like, was there ever a time in your life when things were just going well? Right? You might, you might have, it might feel that way, but then you look back on it and you go, oh, no, no, there was, the disaster was lurking, you know? God shows up when life is hanging by a thread, when you're dying in a pile. That's where Jesus shows up. It's interesting, the last two weeks, I've had multiple conversations with friends, and um, every single one of them is in some sort of crisis. On the night of our Christmas dinner, my buddy dragged his friend to church because his ex-wife had just been diagnosed with breast cancer, and his son had no idea, like, what to do. He's just falling apart, doesn't believe in Jesus at all, and so we're sitting there in the nursery, and if you've ever wanted to have a significant, deep, emotionally tender conversation Try doing that while sitting in the small child chairs, right? <laughs> Where you're like, your knees are up to your ears, you know? And it was an amazing conversation with him. And, and he, here's, here's this dad who believes that his son must try and pray because, well, he's got nothing else. And then... Another friend texted and called to ask for prayer. Literally everything in her life is falling apart. So he's had this experience. I don't know if you've ever had this where you try and fix things and like just practically like get things done and then other people come and undo those things. You ever have that? You can't sleep and you're stressed out and you're working. You just need to get stuff off your plate and the moment you get it off your plate, it comes back on your plate with three more problems. Have you ever had that before? Have you ever been in that season in your life? She's there, and she's asking for prayer. Then another friend of mine let me know that he's decided to abandon prayer completely, doesn't want to come back to church because, and I quote, this is no, God is no longer working for me. Like, I don't buy it anymore. And then another friend who was right where my, my fourth friend was who doesn't believe that God is working for him, I have another friend that just, I was talking with her last week, and she said, yeah, I was there for six months, and now that I have a little bit of space from it, I can look back and go, okay, God, you were with me every step of the way. 
And as I've kind of taken a step back and looked at all these different conversations, there seems to be this arc that we often find ourselves in. And what happens is this, is that you and I, and this is, I started this, I'm just going to assume that you're like me. Forgive me if you're better. <laughs> we practice what we are familiar with. That's our habit. And, and I, I wish I could say that I practice relying on Jesus more, but I, I would be lying to you if I said that. So we practice our, what we know, what's familiar. And then when crisis hits, right, what do we do? Well, the first thing that we do is we pray. And what do we pray for? I'll tell you what I pray for. I pray that my habits that I'm practicing would work better. God, please help me to rely less on you and more on me. Comfort me during this time with my lousy approach. And he says no, and I go, oh. You know, so that's my first prayer. Does that sound familiar? Lord, bring me peace. Like, I just... Like, I just want peace, and then I, I just want to do the same thing that I've always been doing, but Lord, just bring me peace. <laughs> Am I the only one who does that? Some of you are squirming. I like that. That's good, right? Um, and, then, and then what happens is that then we, are, we kind of figure that out, and we're like, okay, no, you're here, and we pray, and we reach out to friends, and we, we text the people, that, and we get support. And then there's, sometimes our suffering can get so deep and so bad that it feels like God's totally absent and we're like my friend who told me that this isn't working anymore. And maybe it's suffering that it's not our fault. Like maybe someone hurt us or betrayed us or maybe we're dealing with a diagnosis or maybe we're caring from a loved one that they're not getting better and it just feels like I don't know what to do. Or maybe, it, maybe the whole thing is because of our foolishness. It kind of doesn't matter. Whatever the scenario is, at some point, our suffering will get so bad that we feel like, man, God, I don't, it, does, it feels like you're not even real. And then, if we can stay with God or stay connected to God in some way, shape, or form, maybe it's people, maybe it's just showing up to church when you don't feel like it, if we get enough space, we'll look back on that time and we'll go, God, you were with me every single step of the way. Can you kind of see that arc? What happens in that really dark place matters. The choices that you make matters. In fact, sometimes we might just need one person to reach out to us, one person to pray for us. We might just need one sign, like one glimpse of hope in the middle of these dark clouds in our life. You know, we got that this morning. Did you know that? This is taken this morning. And then Steve and Betty Potter took this one. Like, isn't that beautiful? Like that in the middle of the darkest moments, when the storm is raging, like we get a little bit of a promise, a little bit of a glimpse of hope. You see, for Joseph and Mary, for Joseph, that moment was when his fiance said, I'm pregnant with not your baby. Right? And then he's like, okay, it's from Jesus. Or it's about Jesus, it's from God, I can handle this. And then he gets the notification that he's got to go to Bethlehem for taxes. But he doesn't have to just to pay taxes for himself. Who does he have to pay taxes for now? 
Mary and the baby that's not his. Oh, snap. <laughs> Joseph is like, well, I didn't see this happen. Huh. Hmm. And so, uh, oh, by the way, the bus line doesn't ride to Bethlehem. I can't get an Uber. Nobody's carpooling. I got to walk it on foot all by myself. Right? Joseph is like, maybe it's celibacy. It's like, I'd just be single and this would be good. Like, it'll be fine. Like, you know. But maybe Joseph is like, you know what? This is no longer working for me. It's time to move on. Um, but see, if, if, you, if you ask Joseph and Mary right at that moment where God was, they might say, I don't know. But if you ask them like after the shepherds showed up or after the three kings showed up, three wise men, what would they be able to tell you? They would say, oh yeah, God was there all along. So Joseph and Mary are choosing to stay, to hold on to Jesus, even in a really, really dark time. We're going to talk more about this in a minute, but first we've got to go through a childbirth together. Ready? Verse 6. Let's read. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She wrapped him in cloths, uh, and they disappeared. They left. Let's, let's read. Uh, she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Um, Luke pointed out in our staff meeting that this passage is so ordinary. It's messy. Like, there's nothing. There's no halos. There's no singing angels, right? There's no music, Right? Joseph and, when we meet Joseph and Mary in chapter one, they're surrounded by family and friends. Now they're alone. When we meet Mary and she goes to be with Elizabeth, right? At least she has some comfort, you know, in her pregnancy. And now she's alone. And there's no halos. There's no Christmas carols. There's no light from heaven. We watched the nativity last night as a family. If you've seen that, Poe Dameron, the... Um, X-Wing fighter in Star Wars is Joseph. They do a great job. And, sorry, I have a junior higher. Uh, and so, great. But at the end of that movie, which is a lovely movie, it's absolutely brilliant, you know, Jesus and Mary are like giving birth and there's the, like, the nativity scene, right? And there's a light oh, from heaven shining down. It didn't happen that way. Like there was, you know, it's just two scared teenagers in abject poverty trying to figure out how childbirth works with no manual. That's what it was like. Joseph is praying that Mary and the baby will live. Mary is wondering why the heck the angel Gabriel isn't providing a doctor, a bed, a clean sheet, and an epidural, right? Like, that's what she's wondering. And then the scene shifts to my favorite moment. So here, this moment is without fanfare. And now we're going to get to fanfare. Why does Luke give us this moment without fanfare? Because this is the reality of life sometimes. Even when God himself is being born into the world and into your life, sometimes it just feels like a big hot mess and that no one will help you with. Somebody say amen like Lynn. Amen. That means I agree in Aramaic. Next, here's my favorite scene. 
And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. Now, pause. If you were a first century reader, if the first thing that you would do is you go, ooh. <laughs> Why? Because shepherds were thought of as robbers and also totally immoral, right? That's where you put the weirdos out with the sheep alone, Just like out there, right? They were just as despised as tax collectors and even more mistrusted. Their reputation was so poor that they were disqualified from testifying in legal matters, right? You thought women had it bad, right? Women were trusted more than shepherds. That tells you something about the first century, about how bad <laughs> shepherds were, and also how bad women had it. <laughs> Not kidding. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. Of course there were. They don't have homes. They sleep with sheep, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Read with me. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. Oh, good. Finally, an angel to smite those dirty shepherds, right? He's going to turn them to dust like they deserve. What does the angel do? Let's keep on reading. <coughs> yeah, the angel's about, right? The angel's charging up and ready to like blow them all away. This is what's going to happen. That's what you're anticipating as a first century Jew. But actually... The angel isn't charging up to destroy the shepherds. What is the angel revealing? What is the angel bringing? Yeah, well, they don't know that yet, but what the angel is bringing right now is the glory of the Lord. You remember the definition of glory? Let me give it to you just in case you forgot it. Glory is the weight and significance and fullness of God's presence. I told you that story a couple weeks ago about how when I, I saw this kid being saved up at summer camp, I, like, I, I hit the wall and I just fell to my knees. This was last week, right? Crying and weeping at the same time. Like I had encountered the glory of God and it had a weight and a texture and a feel to it. Do you remember what I said earlier about God's glory right when we started? I know that you're trying to forget, but it goes like this. God in all his glory is a being of unimaginable power, clothed in light and fire, unapproachable by anything stained by evil rebellion. I mean, when Israel first saw the glory of God, it was on Mount Sinai. Do you remember that scene out of Exodus? Right? Moses says, don't touch the mountain or y'all gonna die. Right? And then like God shows up. He descends from heaven onto Mount Sinai and immediately the top of the mountain lights on fire and smoke starts swirling around the mountain and then like everybody's terrified and then trumpets are blasting. Bah! That's the glory of God. That's Israel's only experience with the glory of God. Then, well, at that time, and then when the temple was dedicated, God's glory showed up and it knocked everybody flat. Again, trumpets, bah, smoke, fire, people freaking out. And now they're going into the holies of holies like, you better confess all your sins. Tie a rope around his ankle. That way we can drag him out when he dies. That's what they literally did. So the angel is bringing the glory of the Lord to who? shepherds. Wow. 
So the full weight and significance and power of God's glory is not smoke, it's not thunder, it's not the earth shaking, it's light shining from an angel. It's still terrifying. I mean, the shepherds are popping Xanax like Tic Tacs at this point, <laughs> right? But it's a different kind of terrifying than I'm going to die right now terrifying. Verse 10, the angel said to them, read with me, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. Oh, wait, that's, now you know why the shepherds needed to hear this, right? You're here to kill me. I knew it, right? And the angel's like, no, do not be afraid. How many times does the angel have to say that? No, seriously, stop running. No, I can follow you. I'm flying. You're running. Like, just, like, oh, that's okay. No, you, come on, get up. Oh, he fainted again. Okay, let's, come on, get up, sweetheart. It's okay. Don't be afraid. Don't. Oh, he's running again. Okay, no, come on. Come, right? It would have been, that would have been a fun moment for, for an angel, right? The, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for not the rich people, not the right people, not the connected people, all people, all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. He is Messiah the Lord. See, for a Jew at this point, when God's glory shines, you don't go near to approach God. You keep your distance from God so that you can stay alive. If you touch the mountain, you die. If you touch God, who is a being filled with unimaginable power and glory and, and awesomeness, you die. And what is the angel saying? What's the new thing the angel's revealing? He says, you're not going to be killed if you touch where God has descended. In fact, I want you, the person who deserves it the least, to come near and meet God in the flesh. Verse 12, this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Like when God, Caesar, when he would talk to you, it cost you, but when the true king of kings comes and talks to you, it doesn't cost you, it costs him. Like he's left heaven and now wrapped in the fragility of our own flesh. The God of infinite power and glory and might and majesty is a fragile baby born into the muck and mire and vulnerability of our everyday life. And the angels tell the shepherds where to find Jesus, which is the first time in human history where the lowliest citizens are invited to the birth of the brand new king. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if like, what's, what, are, what are the royal family? Who are those people? It's the lady, Meghan Markle. She was on that suit show, right? Oh, yeah. And then Harry. He's the guy with the red hair. Who's the guy with the red hair? Yeah. Right? So, Megan, Megan and Harry, they have a baby. Can you imagine if they're like, yeah, y'all, come on in. Ian, what are you doing? You want to come? 
And like, ready? Terry, you're going to, you know, come, come see. You'd be like, what? No, that's, you know. Now, what they do, they keep everybody out, but the shepherds are invited in. But before they can even comprehend everything that is happening around them, it gets even more miraculous. The light of God's glory from one angel is now multiplied a thousandfold as a great company, a multitude, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels, the entire heavenly host then fills the night sky and for the shepherds night is turned into day as the glory of God drives away all of the darkness. And I'm imagining that as the angels are singing, that's the best rock concert you've ever been to. The ground is shaking, the sheep are freaking out, and the angels are front row, right, to Aerosmith when they were good, right? I mean, it's, it's amazing, right? And what are the angels singing? Ready? Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared at the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God. Oh, come on. That's not even close. So come on. Belt it out. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to men on whom his favor rests. And the, I mean, the shepherds couldn't believe it. What? I mean, not only... The, the message, like, it's now midday and there's thousands upon thousands of angels. The only time in human history the heavenly host has been revealed to people, and it's to shepherds, right? But on top of that, what are they singing? God's glory is here, and it's Jesus, and he's here for you. God's peace is here, and it's Jesus, and he's here for you. God's favor is here, and it's Jesus. And he's here for you. Like in the darkness to those who deserve it the least, when everything seems to be falling apart, God's glory shows up. And that's the miracle of Christmas. That Jesus has arrived for you who deserve it the least. In the last place that you'd ever look for it, God isn't way out there. God is here. So what do we do with this information? How does this apply to your life? Do the angels, do like do the shepherds like take a selfie with the angels? <laughs> hold on, I'm taking a video. Oh dang it, I didn't get it. Wait, hold on. Okay, <laughs> keep on singing. No, start over. Okay, go. Right? <laughs> like they didn't do that. What'd they do? They ran. Like they literally sprinted to meet Jesus in the flesh. They ran to be in God's presence. That's a good start for us too. Verse 15, read this with me. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go. Let's go. What are we waiting for? Hold on, I'm not done with my Amazon wish list yet. No, let's go. Let's go. Which the Lord has told us about. So they, they didn't mosey. They hurried, they sprinted, they ran. They hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. I mean, Christmas is all about finding Jesus. Christmas is all about experiencing God's glory when you spend time with Jesus, speaking to Jesus, listening to him, connected to Jesus, in prayer, in worship, as you love others. Now, let me add a wrinkle. 
What would the shepherds say if they found out that this baby, God in the flesh, was going to bring peace to their own hearts by dying on a cross for their sins? What would they say if they knew that this Messiah lying in a manger would defeat sin and death by rising from the grave after he had been buried for three days? What if they said, what would they say, like, shepherds, you're not just getting a moment with Jesus this night, but you're actually, you're going to get Jesus himself who will dwell inside your heart for now and through all eternity through the presence of his Holy Spirit. What would they say? What would they say? Like, your sins are forgiven. Like, like everything that's been done to you, it's cleansed. Everything that you've done, it's gone. It's covered. What would they say? Well, we know what they say. Because they're saying it right now in heaven. We know what we're going to say because we're going to join that song. Remember how it goes? Revelation 5.13. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory, power forever and ever. To understand the story, sometimes you have to start at the end. I don't know where you are in that arc of your story right now. Maybe you can see God clearly. Maybe you can feel God working. Or maybe you're at that place where my friend is where it's like, this isn't working for me anymore. I want to give you a picture of hope today that one day you're going to sing this. It's going to be okay. And you're going to have some space. You're going to get that pace. I promise you, you will get the space to see how God is working in this dark time. But he's here He's not way out there. He's here, born into your muck and mire. So keep on holding on to him. He's holding on to you. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for revealing your glory and a glory that does not destroy us, but a glory that woos us and wows us. A glory that brings the weight of your presence to every single moment of our life. Open our eyes, Jesus. Help us to see you working. Help us to see you present in, our, in the details, Jesus. Give us courage to wait with you. To not thwart your good plan by pretending we have a better one but to wait with you. Meet us, Jesus, in our deepest needs. We love you, Lord. Thank you so much for coming and saving us. Thank you for this Christmas. Thank you for the rain today. Bless my friends. Seal these good words that we've sung and heard in your scripture in each of our hearts. Once again, Holy Spirit, we give you permission to work on us. And all God's beloved saints said,